Thanks for listening to the Church in the City podcast. Subscribe on iTunes and follow at Church in the City. So we, we are in a 10-week series uh, rolling out a vision framework for us as a church. And if you've been with us, uh, this is week 9 of 10. Uh, but it's been a time of focusing, of refocusing, of resharpening, of realigning ourselves uh, with God. And uh, we've been looking at um, how we see the world and the world we long to see. And we've been discussing who we are, what we believe, and what we feel God has called us to as a local expression of His love into the city. And for me, it's kind of felt like the secret ingredients haven't changed. It's still Christ in us, the hope of glory. But it's felt like we've just been polishing up the bottle. So that we can see the label more clearly. And as we see the label with just greater clarity and convictions, we have a greater sense of our identity. And with that, we can just extend a better invitation to those around us to taste and see that the Lord is good. So that's been a big uh, motivator for the vision uh, framework. Another part of the motivation. Uh, that I've felt, is that we want to make it count. Uh, we have one life to live for Jesus, uh, individually and as a body. And Psalm 90 is a prayer of Moses. And in verse 12, Moses cries out to God. And he says, teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. Uh, the New King James Version says that we might apply our hearts to wisdom. And to me, that speaks about being focused we know that wisdom isn't just knowing the right thing to do, but wisdom is doing the right thing consistently. So our vision framework should be propelling us forward to do what God has called us to do in this season. I hope you've been feeling that. Billy Graham, a few years before he passed away, um, after, after the life of um, Productivity and significance, all the things that Billy Graham got to do for God, uh, the places that he got to go, the people of high influence he got to interact with, the US presidents that he got to counsel and spend time with, they asked Billy Graham uh, a question. They said, What is the most profound truth that you have learned through all of your life experience? And Billy Graham said, The brevity of life. The brevity of life. Life is short. We want to make it count. We don't want to squander what God has given us as a people. And we don't have time just to play church, just to do a whole bunch of things that wear us down and tire us out, but don't ultimately have value and significance into eternity. That doesn't mean we don't get to have fun. I can see from your faces looking seriously at me that I'm getting too intense. How many of you know that? Heaven is fun. I, I believe that heaven's going to be the best fun we'll ever have. It's going to be like Disney World without the lines. <laughs> but if heaven is fun, then I want to say on earth as it is in heaven. We're going to have a blast doing this together. We are already as a people. This has been a really good uh, series for me. I've, I've enjoyed the questions uh, that we've been asking and the answers that we've been receiving from God and His Word. It's been a fresh reminder of who 
where we've looked to God, and even as we've pre- presented a vision framework uh, for us with some new clarity and convictions, um, we remain open-handed. Uh, we remain yielded to God. And that's we've always tried to be here in this church. And we will continue to seek His face. We will continue to host His presence and to hear His voice as we journey together. It's been really good, uh, especially for some of us who have been around for a while. And speaking to you, I feel like this is the most excited uh, we've ever been, especially as we transition to a new physical place together. So by now, uh, you've heard our belief, and most of you have committed it to memory, like Nancy Hayes. Um, our belief is the overriding mission statement that motivates us in everything that we do. It's the power and presence of Jesus that deeply transforms lives, gifting us with intimacy with the Father and freeing us from everything that, that holds us down, holds us back. It's been, it's been good to see the response to this belief because it is biblical and it's always been a conviction uh, in this church from the beginning. We've just tried to define it more accurately. And now we not only know our belief, but we believe it too, right? So the belief has gone from our heads to our hearts and now it's leaving the building for all of you and going into your sphere of influence as you partner with the King. Um, you know, uh, the most powerful testimony concerning this belief is actually your own testimony. If Jesus has transformed my life and continues to transform me, then it's real for me. And if He's transformed your life, and it's real for you, then that collectively is a powerful testimony. One of my uh, best uh, childhood memories uh, is learning how to surf with my dad and my brother at 10 years old. We grew up um, living close to the Indian Ocean, and so at 5 a.m. we would wake my dad up and go down to the beach before school. And I remember feeling overwhelmed by the beauty and the magnitude of the ocean at a young age, especially if the waves were big. And our home beach had these piers that extended out about 150 feet, which made it really easy for us young surfers to run to the end and jump off. And I remember not knowing Jesus, but thinking, God, you must be good, because what you have made is so good. And I remember when I paddled out for the first time uh, that morning, I would just say a simple prayer. God, thank you for your ocean, which I love so much. And protect my dad and my brother and I as we enjoy this together. And after that, I went through a rough patch in my early teenage years. But I never forgot those encounters with God. He had softened my heart. And then at 16 years old, I said yes to him. Jesus pursued me while I was attending a Methodist boarding school. I received my salvation. And then five years later, um, I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, and then I got water baptized at that very same beach um, that I encountered God. And I remember coming up out of the water and just running along the shoreline at dusk and just
just feeling so alive and so free. And it was it's an amazing memory for me. Um, and Jesus then started to transform my life, started to transform uh, the way I thought about money, um, how I would steward it. He started to transform the way I thought about relationships and my future wife. He started to transform everything in my life. He started to put big dreams in my heart. One of those uh, was to come to America, and a few years later, I got to step out with my brother and come on this faith adventure that would end in Chicago. And so God continues, and I continue to journey with Him as He transforms me and is transforming you as we go on this adventure together. So we have our belief. We've also redefined our vision statement, which we've called our banner, all of Jesus for everyone. And I love that picture that James gave us of us picking up this banner together. I'm taking one side, you're taking the other, and together we get to carry this heart into the city of all of Jesus for everyone. So we have our belief, we have our banner, we've spoken about our five values, and I'm going to speak about the first of two ethics, uh, which is we get to give, sorry, we get in order to give, or we get to give. The word ethic, as we've termed it, is just how we relate to the world. It's our touch point to the world. It's how we make contact with the world. It's taking what we know and doing something beautiful with it out there. It's our reach and our touch towards our sphere of influence. Those who have no idea what goes on here on a Sunday, but they interact with us five days a week at the office, at a school, at a hospital, and they are watching us through the good and bad. How would they describe us? What is their experience with us? Is there a consistent thread that points to Jesus in our lives? The reality is, um, 95% of us, 95% of the time, won't be up here preaching. That's okay, because being up here is not the goal. Um, this is not the finish line. This is the half-time huddle. This is the starting block from which uh, we get to go out from here um, into the world. When we wake up on a Monday morning, that's the main event. The main event is real life. And it's there that we get to take what we learn here and apply it and partner with the King. But this is my 5%, so thanks for listening. So <laughs> So the ethic that I'm speaking about this morning, we get to give. So we're going to be speaking about giving and receiving. I can tell, as I say the G word, a couple of you are getting uncomfortable out there. You remember hearing that word give when you were a kid and your parents were trying to teach you how to give to your siblings and that was hard. And then you heard that word again sometime in your church life. Well, the good news is we're actually going to be speaking more about receiving than giving. Because you can only give what you have. And anything that we have of true value has been given to us by God. So it's important for us to know how to receive so that we can give. 1 John 3 verse 1 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. This word lavished means over the top. It means to fill up, to overflow, to bestow 
show something with extravagant quantities. All throughout the Bible, we read about God pouring out His love upon mankind. We read descriptions of rivers and streams and water that burst out of a rock and springs of living water that flow. The goodness and the presence of God, which is available to us, and, and God wants that to flow through us into the world. It's not just a place, but it's the person of the Holy Spirit that we get to live with, we get to commune with. And in the busyness of this big city, we get to come back to again and again and again. Matthew 10 verse 8 says, Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, freely have received, now freely give. In the kingdom, when we partner with God, giving is an opportunity, it's not an obligation. We get to give of our time, our talents, and our treasures as an opportunity, not an obligation. Why? Because He first loved us. He first blessed me. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through Him. The ultimate gift to a world that rebelled and rejected God God gave His all. All of Himself in the gift of His Son. We get to give. We don't have to give of ourselves as slaves, but we give because we're royalty. We're royal sons and daughters. Bill Johnson says that we rule with the heart of a servant and we serve with the heart of a king. Serving with the heart of a king is very different to just being a servant. We might uh, serve uh, with, out, of a, out of a place of, we might, we might serve as a servant and work as hard as a servant. When you serve with the heart of a king, you have the resources of heaven back from you, and that is powerful. The kingdom economy is about giving and receiving, where we give out of, out of abundance. We bless, less, so we get to be a blessing. Because of Jesus, because of what we've received in the gift of his life, we all have something to give. More than that, you've been called to this house to contribute and into the world to make a difference. From the beginning, it's been God's heart to bless man. Uh, Genesis 1 describes the creation story. And in verse 27, it says this. Let's read uh, from verse 27. God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. God blessed them said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and every living creature that moves on the ground. So God blesses man and gives him dominion and rulership over what? Over everything. He delegates his authority to man. What a privilege. It was supposed to be a small garden that would grow and increase multiply to cover the, the earth with the love and favor and fruitfulness of God. Later on in Genesis 12, God calls Abram 
would later become known as Abraham. And again, he declares a blessing over Abraham. In Genesis 12, he says, I'm going to bless you. You're going to be a blessing. God was equipping Abraham and saying, Abraham, you get to give. God's blessing that was spoken in creation and then broken at the fall of man is once again spoken as a declaration of grace. And Jesus would later come to fulfill that and to restore that. So it's here at the first chapters of the Bible that we learn what God is like from His generosity towards mankind. Our Creator is a generous King. He's a good King. He's a loving King. We learn that He's a King, that He's a God of blessing, of abundance, of increase, and of multiplication. So this morning I have a simple word of encouragement. I actually think it's a strength in this uh, church already, but God wants to build us up in this. Um, and so I want to try and, and ask and answer three questions. The first is, who is our source? And I've already started to, to answer that one. The second is, what do we have? What is in our hands? And the third is, why should we let uh, the river flow? So who is our life source? Jeremiah 2.14, God describes himself again to his people. He says, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water. They have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. So God is rebuking the Israelites again for departing from him. And it's a sin of unbelief and of disobedience kicking in again for the Israelites. And so God chooses to describe himself as a spring of living water. And although this is beautiful uh, to see and to experience in real life, I think that in 2018, living in a big city alongside the Great Lake, uh, we don't think about how valuable this is because we have water available to us plentiful supply. In fact, we get uh, frustrated if we turn the faucet and the hot water doesn't come out quickly. And I did that one time. I turned on the water and there was no water and I was freaking out. And then I realized that in Chicago in the winter, if the water doesn't come out, that's the first sign of leaking pipes. So that happens to you. Now you know what it is. <laughs> but at this time in history, God's description of himself as a spring of living water a powerful picture of provision and abundance to his people. You see, God created us in such a way that only he can satisfy us. Wouldn't you do the same? God created man for a relationship with himself, and then he created man in such a way that only he can satisfy the deep longing of the human soul. Spring of living water uh, would have been a natural phenomenon. Kind of is today as well. A lot of work would have gone into finding and sourcing a clean supply of water. And a spring of water like this in the natural, the Israelites, if they had discovered this, they would have set camp there. They would have built a city around the natural source of water because it would have just supplied and resourced everything that they would do. But 
supernaturally sustaining uh, his people through the desert, after sending manna from heaven, after the water burst from the rock, the Israelites have once again departed from their life source. And there's this pattern of departure and rebellion in the heart of man. It goes back to the beginning in the garden. Adam and Eve had access to, to the living water. They had access and intimacy and relationship with God. The deep thirst and longing of the human soul was satisfied there. But we know what happened. Um, Satan was there before the garden, and it was, it was the serpent's cunning, his lie that tricked them into believing that they didn't have all of God. And you'll remember James did a great job um, teaching us that we unwalled ourselves, we gave up that allness that we had in the living water, in the sustenance that, we, that man had in the garden. The one thing that God had instructed them not to do, they did, and in that moment they unwalled themselves, they separated themselves from God, and the mantle of authority, of dominion, and rulership was handed over to God's enemy. Satan had no authority to come in and steal from man. He didn't come into the garden and violently take possession of Adam and Eve. Dominion and powers. And man was given the keys of dominion. So Satan would have to come and get his authority from man. Man went from living in abundance and ruling with God to giving up his authority and turning over the keys of the kingdom to the evil one. When sin entered, man was separated from God. The word evil, as we read it in Matthew 6, in the Lord's Prayer, deliver us from evil, represents the full extent of the curse which is upon man, the curse of sin. Poneros is the Greek word for evil, and that comes from the word ponos, which means pain. That word comes from the the root word penis, which means poor. So it's evil sin, pain, sickness, and poor poverty. Jesus came to destroy the power of sin, sickness, and poverty with his redemptive work through the cross. That's amazing. Revelation 7 17 says, For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. You see that description again of the springs of living water. God describes himself as a spring of living water, and Jesus is the gateway, leading us to the source once again, where we can be filled to overflow with the spring of living water. And in John 7, 37, it says, On the last and greatest day, of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. This was actually a religious festival that Jesus wasn't supposed to go to. Uh, his disciples told him that the Pharisees were trying to kill him, so he was going to stay out of the way, but he couldn't help himself. He slipped in discreetly, and I think as Jesus 
religious activity that was going on, he couldn't help it. He stood up, and that picture of Jesus standing up and declaring something with a loud voice is powerful. To that, I think we need to listen. Of course, anything that Jesus says, if he stands up and says something in a loud voice, I'm saying amen. <laughs> Unlimited resources available to us. The curse upon man is broken and poverty is replaced with victory and abundance in him. So we get to give from the overflow. Jesus is a spring of water that flows. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. So this morning as we think about giving out, we get to give. We get to be a generous people out of the overflow, out of the, out of the fullness of life pouring into us. It's from a place of knowing what we have. That we have a generous Father. That we have a generous King who has lavished us with the resources of heaven. We need to settle that question about who God is. Secondly, what do we have in our hands? What do we carry? Uh, John 6 is um, the account of Jesus feeding the multitudes. And this is the only miracle that's repeated in all four Gospels. And I think it's emphasized by way of repetition for a reason. Think about this. Jesus could have asked his dad just to send manna from heaven and water from a rock again. He had done that. And I would guess this multitude of people would have heard the stories of God doing that. So there was a level of expectation that they had. But I think Jesus was trying to teach us something here. He was modeling something else of what it looks like to, to partner with Him, even with small faith. So let's read um, John 6, verse 5. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward Him, He said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? We. He asked us only to test them. For he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered them, It would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Whoa, that's crazy. This is Philip. Like, he spent time with Jesus. Jesus asked a question about how are we going to do it. What does Philip say? He, he makes a statement of fact based on math. But it goes on. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small body loads and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Question mark. So there's a big difference between these two men. One makes a statement of fact, exclamation mark, and another poses a question, even with small, small faith. He asks a question of Jesus. And I can hear just that level of faith from Andrew. Also want to recognize the boy here too. Just give him some credit. I, I would imagine that this young boy was diligent and trustworthy. He was given a provision for his plan for that day. And in the time of need, the little that he had was valuable. Because as he presented that willingly, Andrew saw the offering and had faith and shared that faith with Jesus and then Jesus took the bread and broke it and gave thanks and was able 
multiply the provision and feed the 5,000 men. In fact, uh, theologians say that 15,000 people were fed that day between uh, men, women, and children. And then the disciples had to go and collect the leftovers in 12 baskets. The God of the, the abundance, the God of the leftovers. And I see that happen here in our body. On Friday, we had the privilege um, of praying uh, for a business with shoulder to shoulder. And uh, it, it's a ministry that Gary and Candace lead. And they've taught us to ask questions, to listen, to ask questions of Jesus. And it was like, on Friday, Chris Q came in like the boy with the bread. He was prepared, he was carrying something. And as he brought that forward, Mike Nelson had a level of faith. He contributed something. And then we like step back and watch Jesus start to do something miraculous. And whenever we go into businesses, um, we face challenges. And they might be, might be relational, might be financial, or might be for physical healing. But we ask questions, we wait. And as people bring in the different, participate in that different circle, we step back and watch Jesus do amazing things. Okay, third one coming into land. Last question that I'm going to try and answer is why should we give it away? Because we have to simply let the river flow. The river has to flow, and we need to let it flow through our finances and the way we spend our time, through our talents and the passions that God has given to us. When the river of God flows through our lives, there is fruitfulness, there is abundance, there is joy, and there is peace. You might have heard the saying that it's not, um, it's not about your ability. Your ability doesn't count, but it's about your availability. And as we avail ourselves to this river of God, we start to see Him moving. Revelation 22 describes the restoration of Eden. And the word Eden actually means delights. And in Revelation 22, it's this description of the river that flows from the throne of God down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stands the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. There's a supernatural productivity when the river flows. And we know if the river stops flowing, then a dam is formed, and where water is stagnant for a period of time, it attracts death and decay. When you see that picture of the river flowing from the throne room of God, there is fruitfulness. And, and abundant life. I want to ask uh, Aiden if you could come up with the team. Just in closing, we're going to stand up and worship together. Um, not right now, but just for, a, just for a minute. I just want to draw on the Holy Spirit to minister because I feel like um, there's some of us that just need to step into more of this abundant flow of the spring of living water that flows. And like I said previously, Jesus came to destroy the power of poverty. What's amazing is you can live with worldly riches but still still be poor, still have an awful spirit. I see it all the time from successful people in business. So it doesn't abundance in God is different to having excess but feeling alone and impoverished. And I just feel like uh, this morning God wants to break some things. He wants to bring us deeper into that flow. He wants
to take you out of feeling like you're backed up and pushed down by the enemy. Um, small thinking, living in a place of lack, the fear that comes with not thinking God is going to provide for all of your needs. As we stand in the flow of a good Father, we have everything we need for life and Godliness. stand together. Maybe you can just, if you, if you feel like this, this word is for you, I want to just ask that you just take a position of receiving. Just put your hands out like you're going to catch something overwhelming, something beautiful, something powerful. God is generous. He wants to give us more than we can handle to the overflow. Lavishing his children with his love is only he can do. So we just receive that power. Thanks again for listening to the Church in the City podcast. Subscribe on iTunes and visit us at churchinthecity.us.